Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, hello. <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome back to Car Chat and I'm here and with me today is Scott Mansell. Hey, uh, hello. <laughs> Hi Sam, thank you very much for having me today. And I first, Scott is a driver coach. Yeah, that's correct. And YouTuber. And yeah, so YouTube and, and, and the driver61.com website as well. Yeah, I met, I met Scott, I've sort of, I think I sort of must have run into you at the track at some point in time. Um, you've done a bunch of radical coaching and you've been sort of around when I've been to the track. But um, we did a day at Bruntingthorpe recently where Scott showed me how much I didn't know about car control and we <laughs> had a good hoon around. But um, do you want to sort of introduce, how did you introduce yourself? Maybe say a little bit about what you do and yep. then maybe how you got into it. Okay, so um, I started the driver61.com website three years ago now. Um, I've been a driver coach for 15 years. Um, basically, the first 12 or so years were just coaching um, at the circuit. I've been racing as well um, since I was seven years old in go-karts. And started the driver61.com site and um, created a 25-part tutorial series for for racing drivers um as that information wasn't freely available on the internet um at the time so the course goes through uh learning how to trail brake understanding weight transfer and everything that you you need at least to know in theory um for driving quickly on track yeah that's where i think that's where i first came across your name was i came across uh, because i semi know your partner in crime at the beginning um in this project I, I saw the name driver 61 and i saw your tutorials online and i think i went to your website and then you said oh we're doing this course and then i looked and it's free well <laughs> i think most of it is is most of it free it's all free it's all free yeah. so it's a whole bunch of well you can describe exactly what it is but it's well, I think you just said it was... Yeah, it's a 25-part series uh, aimed at racing drivers to get them to understand the theory behind what they're actually doing uh, on the track because 
uh, a lot of the time. Uh, you know, track day drivers or racing drivers come from driving nice cars on the road go to a track day and discover that it's a completely different world um so there's there's various difficulties in in making that transition to being a, a good track driver and uh, as i as i mentioned this this information wasn't available anywhere uh, freely so i produced a load of tutorial videos and, and put them on youtube yeah it was great i, th- I think you did all sorts of things i mean it, it goes full in depth and it's really in depth into loads of stuff about i mean it's a big set, set series, so I'd recommend checking it out. But it was the first time I'd seen written down loads of things that I'd sort of been told. But no one, yeah, like you said, it's not that information isn't really out there, or you've got to go really looking. And most people, most people haven't got a clue. I would say, like, you get a vague idea, you start to get fast, but you're not necessarily sure why you're fast. And I definitely got into with my driving. I was getting quicker. And I had, you know, a basic understanding of most stuff in my head or a vague idea of why it might, this might be working, why not that by working. But I didn't have a strategy for approaching a track day or a test day or a race weekend for making myself faster. And I, I really liked going through your series of how you broke down loads of different aspects of the of the driving and stuff, which you can then go back and work on individually even like i came back and played it on the playstation and was like oh yeah that makes a bit of sense like trying to get it to click but it definitely takes takes a lot of time and a lot of practice but the, the reason i think i approached you to come and do it is i sort of went through this little little course watched all the stuff and i'd watched some of your videos explaining different tracks so there's a whole bunch of videos uh if you're going to go and drive at spa you can check out one of scott's videos and he explains the apex like how a bit of paint on the track might be <laughs> slippy or wear and all that sort of, you know there's loads of stuff like that that you just i would not even think about at the beginning when you're doing lap one of a track but when you've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laps of a track you start to break it down into these tiny tiny things and i know i i got tons and tons out of that but um so you said you started off with karting yes um i my father made me a uh, a go-kart with uh, with three wheels oh. uh, had two wheels at the front and uh, a scooter engine at the back <laughs> and welded it all together and i had a little little, little go-kart there and then um had that when i was four and then after a year or a year and a half, I'd, I'd learned how to get the thing on two wheels and, and try and balance it on two wheels. So eventually my <laughs> parents said enough was enough and uh, bought me a, you know, a four-wheel cart that we, uh, that we took out just down the local parks because you could kind of get away with that then. Yeah. And then uh, when I was seven years old, I had my first proper cadet cart and, uh, and started racing that when I, when I was eight. So I was very, had a very fortunate childhood. Um, you know, we... we my family on on um wealthy enough to go through all of the motorsport uh rankings the full ladder. But, yeah the full ladder uh, which i'm sure we'll probably discuss later but in karting it, it was enough and it was proper lad and dad karting hmm. sleeping in the back of a van and it was a it was a brilliant childhood to be honest yeah and do you think because it always comes back to you know when you're i'm trying to learn to drive xyz car fast or whatever people always say okay go and go and do some karting like everyone says go and do some karting because it's fundamentally the same or similar would you say it's very driving a cart if you can drive a cart fast very similar to driving a, a car fast 
I would say you can learn the fundamentals in a cart zone, you know, vision, um, vision and, and understanding how to work a chassis or whether it's a car or a car hmm. uh, to get the most from it going through that process as we did when we were when I, when I, when I was working with you um, you can learn that but obviously um, there's a lot more going on with a car in terms of the way that the suspension moves yeah. um, and and obviously being in something that's a bit more powerful and, and quick so yes it's it's useful for learning the fundamentals and in particular for learning racecraft yeah. Uh, there's nothing better than casting for, for, for learning racecraft. But beyond that, once you get this suspension and aerodynamics involved, it kind of you, you need to get into cars. Yeah, because I've I've haven't done very much karting at all. I think I've probably been in the last ten years. I've probably been five times, and they've been in the last three. But um, every time I go, all the sort of things that I've picked up from being told at the track, you know, use all the track apexes various ways of overtaking people on a cart you can just try you just for some reason i think all the things that i quite often associate with driving a car fast don't count in a cart for example you know they're not that expensive you bump a car they're okay you bump a car it's a bit of a problem like and you're normally going can be going quite a bit faster obviously there's some mental carts and i was definitely that progress level of trying to cement what you're doing and the knowledge base, I, I found quite easy to sort of do in a car. And then tr- now I'm trying to bring it back into my driving of a car. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. You've, you've got more mental capacity available in a, in a car. From, um, it's why I actually do my, my masterclass days at Bruntingthorpe. I do it in a, a slow road car because if you can lower the capacity needed just for driving the car, then you can open up some attention on actually thinking about the technique of driving the car. So that's probably why you, you, you'll be a, a lot more conscious of what you're doing and have the ability to think about other things and how you can improve in a go-kart as opposed to the car where mm. you might be you know, within 5 or 10% of all the mental capacity yeah. that you've got at that time. But with experience and with seat time, you get more, more and more comfortable in, in a car and then you can put your attention on actually thinking about what your inputs are doing to how the car's handling and um and, and thinking about strategy or how the tires might be going off or, or thinking about setup so definitely as as drivers you'll go through different phases and different levels of sophistication i guess in in your driving do you find when you tell people that they're driving an mx5 that everyone's just completely fine with that or do you th- do you think some people go like, well, I don't want to go and do a driver day in an MX-5. Like, <laughs> I've got a Ferrari. Why can't we drive the Ferrari? Yeah, exactly. I mean, when I first started um, with the concept of the Masterclass, I, I thought, well, it's going to be a hard sell uh, in an MX-5 because the drivers that are coming to do it have raced Radicals or GT3s or whatever it may yeah. be. Um, they're in expensive, fast racing cars. But I think the type of person who wants to come and learn some proper core technique doesn't care what they're driving uh you know the ego's gone and they just want to learn um as quickly as possible so you know the the mx5 is a fantastic car to use uh for the for the course because it's soft so any any issues or imperfections (laughs) in technique as you know sam um are highlighted quite drastically they're actually harder to drive that car 
than it is a racing car because it's softer and yeah. and so your your steering input and how you are with the accelerator and the trail braking uh, it's amplified the importance and then with it being relatively slow it means that you open up that capacity while you're driving around with the car right on the limit to actually think about what am I doing with with my inputs what am I doing with the steering because you get to this point where when you're driving where it feels too fast. Yeah. You know, our brains, and it's the same for my brain, even though I've been racing for all of my life, I still come down to a hairpin and 10 metres or 20 metres before I actually can brake, my brain's shouting at me to lift (laughs) off and get on the brakes. So you have to begin to get comfortable in that mental, mental area. And sometimes, often... Uh, with drivers when they get into that area where their brain's shouting at them and the alarm bells are going off they go back to an imperfect technique because Mm. then they just drive on instinct they're not thinking about what they're actually doing so to get a driver in that area where they're right on the limit and they can consciously think about what they're doing it's quite a difficult challenge yeah do you is a large part of what you do basically working with working on people's mental capacity to do the right stuff at the right time is that a big hurdle that for a lot of people yeah yeah for most people so we we, we start the, the the day and get the the fundamentals right get the vision in the right area get the scanning between the apex and the exit and, and where you are at the time coming back and forwards then we generally move on to thinking about weight transfer a lot of people when they go testing or on track days they just pound around and they 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 just sit at this limit that they have and just go around at that speed. They don't actively think about what's happening with the car. So to bring someone's attention to how the weight is moving around the car when you're going through a corner, whether the car's up in a neutral position or it's rolled over and set before you can turn it in properly, they've never actually done that. So for them to take a different perspective of of what they're doing when they're driving is, is, is critically important. But then getting them to the limit and actually to manipulate the balance of the car based on the feedback that they get from it is like you say, it's a challenge because there's a lot going on. You know, the, 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 the cars, it's not out of control, but it's right on the edge and our brains are shouting at mm-hmm. us that it's not a natural thing to do. So to get someone in that position in, uh, w- with the proper process so that they can confidently get the car there and, and, and not have it bite them in the backside. So the, 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 we get the technique right in the corner so that when the car does slide, it slides in a, a friendly way. Um, and often that's, that, uh, if a car slides in an aggressive way, it comes from an aggressive input either with the, the pedals or the steering. So if you get the technique right, first of all, then you show the driver that actually when the car does slide in a, in a, in a, in a friendly way with the good technique, they've got plenty of time to sort it out. They've also increased the limit of grip um, quite substantially. So they've, not, they've got more grip as they're going through the corner. Yeah, I remember there was one point where we were going through this. At Brunnythorpe, you set up a bunch of cones, you drive around it once and you're like, that looks simple. And then you start going faster and faster and it gets more complicated. But there was one corner, we were just focusing on like the smallest amounts of what would be throttle movement. Like you're really honing on on just that balance of whether the car was, you know, balanced towards the front, towards the back, towards the side. And the the outcomes, depending on how you did it, were drastically different. Like one, you come out like Larry as hell all (laughs) over the place. You're like, oh, that felt fast. One just feels 
really smooth, but like you're on it. Yeah. And that, and then that one is the one where you're actually going five miles an hour faster than the one before. Yeah. But until you know that that's how you can go through a corner or all those sorts of things, you, it feels fast. Cause I definitely, when I, um, I did a, a race in an MX five, I felt like I was going fast, see? but I think what I was probably doing was massively overdriving and really lowering that limit. Yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. The, the, the limit isn't the limit. You yeah. Know, you can always push it further. Um, and so a lot of drivers will go around and be on a limit, self-imposed limit, basically. Um, and the car will be sliding, but it will be sliding prematurely. So as a driver, we need to actively think about, well, how can we push this limit as, as far up as possible? And um, and that's done through analysis of, of what the car's doing at a particular time and then thinking about your input and how we can uh, manipulate that to give the, the, the limited area, whether it's the front or the rear. If the, if the rear's sliding on corner entry, you have to think about how we can change our input um, to give the rear a little bit more grip. So, for example, if we're coming down to corner, we're on the brakes, we ease up off the brakes and we turn the car in, but we're still on the brakes a little bit because we're tra- trail braking in, and the rear slides on that initial turn-in, well, you have to ask yourself the question, what's limiting me from going faster? At that point, it's the rear of the car. So what can we do with our input on the brake pedal to actually shift the weight backwards a little bit, give the rear a little bit more grip, and so go through the corner quicker? Well, in that case, you just, where you're coming up off the brakes, you'd make that pressure a little bit lighter so the front of the car comes up a little bit, transfers some of the grip to the rear of the car, and you can go through the corner quicker. And you just do that until you've actually gone too far the other way and you get understeer and then you bring it back. Yeah, and then... Obviously, loads of people go out and then blame their setup of the car. Do you find that obviously there's a there is a, a perfect setup, but but is it like a perfect setup for a a person, or should you really be able to drive around most stuff? That that's, that wasn't really yeah, a good question. No, no, I, I understand. I think it depends on the the level of the driver at that particular time. Um, if the driver is relatively inexperienced, then maybe a slight understeery car uh, would be beneficial to them because it, it gives you a bit more confidence. Mm. They don't want to feel like they want to feel a limit, right? Yeah. And they don't probably don't want it to be oversteer. They probably want it to be understeer because it's a bit easier to control. Yeah. So that will then give them confidence to push a little bit more. And although the, their limit will be slightly lower because the car won't be properly balanced. At least they'll have the confidence to, to push on mm. reasonably well. But uh, a really good driver will adapt to to the car um, and, and the balance of the car at that particular time. Now, the car does need to be in the ballpark in terms of setup, but it's very rare that you get in, in a car in a qualifying session or a race, as you know, and it's perfect. It doesn't happen yeah. that often. So there will be subtle differences in whether the car's, you know, pushing on the way in or on the exit or whatever it is, and you'll you'll adapt to that. So that's where the, the great drivers really come into play if they can adapt to uh, an imbalance in the setup. Yeah, because I've, I've definitely had it where I'm driving a car and I'm like, ah, oh, the tyres feel rubbish, whatever, and then you know that loads of stuff needs to change and then someone else, a pro, will get in it 
and go and set a lap like eight seconds faster or something. You're like, okay, so there's we know there's there might the car might not be quite you know within a tenth of perfect pace, but there's possibly something else <laughs> stopping it for getting there. That's it. I mean, as as I mentioned before, you've got to self you've got to analyze what's going on at each point through the corner, so the turn in, the apex, and the exit, and then think about how you can adapt your, your technique to, to suit that and, and get the most out of the car. If we're not using all the grip from all of the tyres all the way through the corner, then we're leaving some speed on the table. Yeah. And it may be that the setup that the car has or whether the track temperature's changed or the tyres are going off or the wind, whatever it is, there's loads of different variables when you're driving that may affect the balance. And so you've just got to adapt to it. Mm. So some cars are sort of historically said to be tricky to drive do you sort of believe let's say like you know an old 911 everyone's like oh they're really dangerous they're going to kill you right. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just scared about the 911 <laughs> um and do you do you find actually most stuff if driven properly is not that bad or some cars are just horrific to drive or any standouts or anything there, there like that? are there are differences yeah there are you know the older stuff is is more difficult the suspension's probably not as sophisticated um if you've got the big lump of an engine in the back then you have kind of a pendulum effect as you're coming into the corner but that you know it depends how you approach the car and and you have a kind of idea based on understanding you know that the engine's at the back how you're going to drive it but once you get a feel for it if you approach the limit for that car in a, in 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 a certain way, then yeah, you can do it smoothly and and it's not going to bite you in the backside. Granted, some cars are more difficult to drive than others. I mean, if you take a uh, an early nineties F one car, put it in Monaco in the wet, it's going to be challenging <laughs> to drive. Like, um, but aside from that, like normal road cars, I think they're all relatively friendly. Yeah, I definitely the first time I drove a rear wheel drive car. I sort of shat myself. I was like, well, not as in I did anything silly. I just had this impression that I was going to get, I think the first time I drove a car that had 400 horsepower or something, it was an Aston. And I just had this apprehension that I was going to die like straight <laughs> away. <laughs> and then you drive stuff more and you learn that actually it's your inputs yeah. that cause any of the stuff else to happen. You don't just, well, you know, unless you have a mechanical failure, you don't just fly off the track. Um, I had, or still have, a lot of problems driving in the wet. Or, yeah, I'm getting there. But yeah. I think it's a practice thing now, um, understanding the concept. But for people that haven't driven on, and I, I would say it's almost specifically limited to you have to be on a track. It's not the same on the road where there's been rubber yeah, or there is a racing line that is smooth and then also extremely slippy. And I don't know, can you talk a little bit about what that, maybe what's that that's like and how you might go around that? That was when you were talking about the wet, that was the first thing that, that, that I was going to say was the biggest, the biggest issue because you have this invisible ribbon of of low grip track yeah. <laughs> um, that you're traveling across multiple times perhaps in, in a corner. So, you know, for for those who who don't know who may be listening to this, uh, the, the rubber gets laid down on the line uh, during dry running on a circuit, and then when it rains, this this dry line is incredibly incredibly slippery, and you'll actively 
in some corners tried to stay tried to stay away from it and I, I don't know the actual um the actual figure but sometimes I think it can be like 15 or 20% less grip yeah. uh rather than running around the outside and what it feels like until you until someone's explained what is happening the first time you're on a track and it's really wet and you approach a corner and you slam on the brakes it's like you've just hit ice it's not yeah. it's not like it's wet or anything it's just ice and you're going off <laughs> <laughs> well you've got rubber water yeah. and rubber haven't you it's not it's not got a great uh, coefficient of friction but further to further complicate if you imagine coming up to a you know a 90 degree corner you're braking on the normal line so you've got 20% less grip for example and then if you take the normal karting or wet line around the outside you then come off the rubber come uh into the the higher grip area of the circuit that doesn't have the rubber on it but then as you exit the corner all of a sudden and it's over a a couple of meters the grip just disappears again so that's where people can get caught out in the wet because you get this massive change in um in grip levels throughout a corner so it's incredibly tricky and you can't really see it so you have to imagine and also feel um feel where the grip is for example i was at brands hatch on tuesday and it was wet all day and some some of the corners you you'd drive on the on the dry line and some of the corners you'd go right around the outside and um one of the difficulties with driving in in the wet as well is that you're because you're driving around the outside a lot of the time for example paddock at brands hatch the first corner at brands hatch is quick corner right it's downhill comes back up again really tricky even in the dry but in the wet we ended up driving um, on Tuesday right around the outside of the corner. So it means that your margin for error, if you go in a mile yeah. an hour too quick, you've got no you've got no margin for error. So you're just going to drop it into the gravel there. So it makes it incredibly difficult. And with the, the changing grip levels as you come through the braking zone and then onto the grippier tarmac, uh, it makes it incredibly hard. Plus falling down the hill as you as you're <laughs> yeah, down there, yeah. it's, it's very difficult. So. Um, is it yeah driving in the rain is a massive challenge it's funny and, and yeah if you watch you know the f1 guys or any racing you will see people and karting all the same just driving lines that you go that just looks super weird and the commentators always talk about it but i'm always amazed i've been amazed recently at how much in the wet people don't like yeah. people still don't drive even off offline and then it's just, it just, it slightly baffles my mind because you see people having a really hard time just on the line, but they're still, they just, go, I guess, until you know otherwise. But you see it, but in, it might in, be faster. in professional championships as yeah. well. Like we saw it in Brazil when, two years ago, was it, when Max Verstappen just drove around everyone. Yeah. Granted, he was on a slightly different strategy, but it, there's, there's a couple of caveats to that. You can sometimes be on a rubber that works pretty well with the rubber that's in the track. Yeah. I don't know about the F1 Pirellis, but I've tested a few cars when it's rained and it obviously depends on the championships that have been there in the weeks before yeah. that's actually laid the rubber into the track. But I've been in a couple of cars where actually the uh, the, the rubber on the cars worked pretty well on the line. Yeah. So, so there wasn't much difference. And so then it's actually more beneficial to open up the corner slightly and drive on the normal yeah. shallow arc um, ideal line. Um, but yeah, you see it, like you say, motorsport and you could, you, you, you could see in that race, Brazil, I think it's 2016, um, when they were behind the safety car, Verstappen was, was trying to figure out 
where the grip was, uh, different patches of circuit. He was driving around more than anybody else. And that, to me, was amazing. I don't know why, I don't know why nobody else was, was yeah. doing that um, because they should have been giving themselves the information. It's crazy uh, that, and it literally goes all the way up. Yeah, like you said, it goes all the way up to F1 where people are not doing these things that um, seem obvious or like you should be doing. Like something we talked about a lot was getting information, information about the car, information about tires, information about the track as soon as possible. I just chuck it down, um, and because I think like. Uh, you said you watched some of my videos. Um, I sent you some footage of the radical and stuff yeah. like that. And we talked about some stuff and we worked out that it, it takes me, if I go to a test day, it might take me five laps before I'm sort of really pushing at all in the slightest. And, yeah. it's, and it happens at the same on race weekends. And we spent quite a long time working on methods of preparing yourself and getting on it and i think by the end of the day it was starting to get there where we'd sort of stop have a little break and then be like right you've got to go flat out now no. yeah um and i thought that was a, that was a really good exercise to do and then trying to think about all the things we thought about and whatever <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a few layers of learning there i mean yeah that's true if you don't give yourself the information how do you know how much how much grip the car's got um it's very apparent when uh, when we're coaching on on track that some drivers will just try to build up to a limit, but it'll take them five or six laps to actually before they even break traction mm. anywhere. So that puts them six laps behind someone who's got the information from turn two. Yeah, you know, you, and there's certain strategies strategies that you can take to to minimise the risk when you're on cold tyres or whether it's raining or whatever that is. Um, and they tend to be to give the car, put the car in a position or a platform so that you create a little bit of understeer rather than oversteer. So while it's not the absolute limit because the front's breaking away before the rear, it's somewhere in the ballpark and you get a bit of information there. So you can, you can break as you're coming into a corner, feel um, maybe over brake so you can feel uh, the the. the the car or the front tires lock up slightly. It's a piece of information. You then come out of the brakes quite early, so the so the front comes up and the car's going to understeer. You turn the car in, maybe get on the throttle so it pushes through the corner. You've got another bit of information, and doing that straight away gives you some information uh, about the circuit that you can then extrapolate around the other corners. And it's especially useful, you know, when it begins to rain or when it's raining or it's been dry in qualifying and then you go into a wet race where you don't have uh, a good understanding of how much grip there is. You can use these strategies to, to find the limit in a safe way as quickly as possible. Yeah, I and that's something that definitely separates someone like yourself, you know, someone who drives all the time, a pro driver who you've got tons and tons and tons of experience. And the thing I've, I've noticed, it's not necessarily, you get sort of gentleman drivers who are very, very fast, but quite often they're not very, very fast lap one or lap two. You know, it might take them a little bit of time to warm up. And that, from what I've sort of come across, seems to be a big differentiator between pros and people who are really on it and people who can drive fast, but, takes a while to get there yeah i think i think that's a it's it's a process as as you as you saw 
it's uh, if you minimize the risk um and get the information from the track then you're going to have more confidence to go more quickly and it's just a process you know and anybody can do it if they know the right order and the right attitude to have the car in as you as you enter the corner so it's only going to understeer then 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 you minimize that risk of 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 having a thing snap around and, and you going off um and experienced drivers will be doing that naturally because they've been doing it for years as you mentioned there the gentleman drivers or the am drivers will actually start off at maybe 60% pace and then gradually build 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 over 10 laps or so until they finally reach the the, the limit yeah. but what the professional drivers do will actually go over that limit very quickly but in a safe way so that they don't have the risk of going yeah. off so that's that's how they can get there so quickly yeah and that was definitely something like we talked about a lot and that ability to push the car in a safe way yeah whereas i think if you if you've just like the first time you drive a car with cold slicks you're just like this is the most dangerous crazy scenario <laughs> you, know, you just think you're just gonna get fired off the track because you just have no grip and then i remember someone was like well okay get the car pointed in a straight line like and do a couple of burnouts like out of the pits like just light up the rears. You're only going in a straight line. Nothing's going to go wrong, really. Just don't hit a pit wall or something. Yeah. Um, and then you've got some heat, at which point you're then just going to understeer rather than oversteer. I think one of the the weekends was at Brands, watching people drive out of the pits and go down <laughs> Paddock Hill on cold tires. It's just comical because people are going like. 20 miles an hour 30 miles an hour and you just start sliding as they go down the hill <laughs> those radicals are uh, uh, the, with the, the compound of the tyres they're, they're quite an extreme example um, because they like you say they're, when they're cold they really don't have much grip but going back to what you said before yeah there's a, there's a process and a strategy to, to warming the tyres get the rears warm first so that they've got more grip than the fronts then all you're going to do is understeer you know you can then build the tyres but you've got this difference in the balance yeah. uh, at least at the beginning until they all come up to temperature but you're minimising the risk and that's that's what a lot of it is about not because we're worried about the car going off but because we don't want to spin and we want to have the confidence to push it as early as possible Do you see much benefit in sims or of, of I'd say from the bottom and, you know, someone playing it on their phone or whatever up to the top end where if people have crazy like 100 grand sim setups. Have you much experience with that at all? Yeah, I mean, I've um, I've got a sim myself um, and I use it. I use it for technique mm-hmm. and training. It it depends on the, the level of the sim. I think um, more, you know, it, people say that they've got a sim and they might just have a, you know, a PlayStation and a... Yeah. A plastic steering wheel. I don't necessarily think that that is a, a useful tool. It can be in terms of learning a track, or at least the direction of a track. Not learning a track properly. Yeah. Um, and it can be useful for some of the most fundamental uh, techniques, like looking in the right area and uh, and those types of things. Being aware um, mm. of where you are on the circuit. But in terms of understanding weight transfer and trail braking properly and, and all of those more detailed things, uh, you need to have a, a decent simulator. Um, I use the Fanatec uh, equipment, and I think that's probably the, 
the bottom end of it being yeah. useful. You need to have something of at least that quality to have the feel in the brakes. And even the fans tech stuff sometimes doesn't yeah. quite have the feel that you need because you need to have the feel for the trail braking. And, and when, we're, when we're trail braking, the last bit of the pressure, which controls the front of the car and the balance mm. front to rear is very, very light, very delicate. And so if you, if you don't have a pressure sensor in the brake pedal and it isn't, isn't weighted properly, it's very difficult to do that. Yeah, you see, you definitely see people driving crazy fast on sims with controllers and just, you know, any sim setup. But they, I think, like, I've found I've just got a Thrustmaster set up over there. And you can, you can definitely do, you know, the weight transfer and all that sort of stuff is there. Yeah. But it is just very, like braking, for example, it's basically impossible to do. Yeah. Like with, with AB, ABS off, you'd have to spend a silly amount of time learn, like learning learning, yeah. learning it rather yeah. than being able to feel it in any way, shape or form. I think you have to learn the, uh, if looking at your, has that got a pressure sensor in it? Is it's it just linear? got a, no. So you have to learn the position of yeah. where the brakes are working and then, you know, you can't feel it, can you? You can't, you, you, you can't feel the pressure. So it's more difficult to learn the the linear position i guess yeah. than the actual pressure that you're putting through it especially when you're coming back out and trail braking to learn that you've got to bring it back up to 20 mil or something yeah. like that is very very difficult i do have the little you can get a little cone mod so right. it it does get harder as you go yeah but it's not like it's just you when you watch people who are fast obviously it's got to be super smooth and it's when you're driving a car like when we're in the we're in the mx5 and you're trail braking, you've got all the sensory stuff yeah. to tell you that whether you're, you know, quite on the limit and then you can adjust it accordingly. Definitely with this sort of setup, you, you can't do that because it's... No, and as well, it, it, like I say, it's the, the equipment, as you get into a more... Mm. Uh, a high quality sim or more expensive sim, you get a bit more information. Yeah. You get the weight through the steering wheel, you get the feeling through the brakes. Um, but... With all sim racing, you're not getting as much information as you are from a real car. Yeah. So actually, it's it's quite difficult to to be quick in a sim. I um, it's incredible though. I uh, I met uh, a, a young guy called Brendan Lee, who is the East F1 esports world champion, drives for Mercedes. Mm. Met him last year, um, and in speaking to him, in things like about setup and how the cars feel, I couldn't tell if it was an an e-racer or or a sim racer or yeah. a real life racer like the way that he described the feeling and and setup changes in particular were exactly, exactly the same right. it was incredible yeah we had a race on uh on uh one of simon mason's sims uh, that, that that he creates for for gentlemen drivers yeah. and um and it was really interesting to see that the the processes that he was going through were exactly the same as it is in the real world and i know from when when i go on sims my learning process is exactly the same and and the speed at which I do it is exactly the same yeah. as the real world. So they are really useful for that. If you get the right um, software, I think a Seto course is probably the best in terms of feel, right, yeah. in terms of actually driving the car. The process that I go through in terms of making it understeer initially and and to to find a limit and then build into mm. that and with the trail braking and even playing around with the setup, uh, the car setup, in that software was exactly the same process and you can obviously use them as much as you want and and have lots of seat time so they are a valuable tool yeah definitely the 
I remember I went and did a, a day at Silverstone. I was driving the Radical. We talked about, I was talking to the people there and we were talking about setup. And then I came home and played with, I can't remember what it was, Project Cars or something, um, with a Radical at Silverstone and then started playing with the setup in the game. And you feel the changes straight away. Yeah. And I suddenly was like, oh, this is a really good way of learning about setup because you can just mess with it at the press of a button yeah. and see how it's different. different yeah. Now, you may not understand why it's different, you know, and it's normally, it's all comes down to that weight transfer and stuff like that and yeah. how, how that works. But I thought, anyway, it was, it was it, very it, it interesting. Is, I don't know about project cars in particular. I've not spent too much time on there, but for sure you can you can use the software to begin to understand setup. And the, the benefit over real racing is that the the conditions are consistent yeah. you know, we we might go out and hourly the circuit's changing you know yourself that a, a lap time can go off throughout the day and so you've got different track temps and wind and whatever it may be but in the sim especially when you're trying to feel a setup change the conditions are consistent so in some parts it's actually better yeah i remember early on it was the first time i first sort of time i looked at data and I just I sort of was like, okay, how fast is an SR3 around Silverstone? Like, boom, I want to know. And then whoever I was with was like, well, we've got some data of a fast SR3, but it's not today. It's not on the same tyres. Wind might be blowing a different direction. And you're like, what do you mean? Like, surely it's the <laughs> same, right? No, and then obviously there's all these factors that factor into one day in the year that might be, you know, might be the a corner day. might be flat. Yeah. Or it might not be flat. Exactly. Cops <laughs> at Silverstone in a radical yeah. can be flat if the wind's coming in your in you know, coming towards you. But if the wind's behind you, there's no way that it's flat. Yeah. Also depends on the, the, the previous tests, the previous race weekends, what rubbers into the in in the track, whether there's any fuel on the track, whatever it may be. There's so much going on that it's very difficult to to compare different days um directly. Yeah. Let, let's let's take that corner for example. Cops at Silverstone is a a blind, you, you can't see the apex, you can't see around it at all. Yeah. Um, very fast corner. And like you're saying, some days it's flat. Not many days it's flat in an in a SR3, yeah. but some days it's not. And obviously you sort of go through the process when you're on the day of working out whether it is or isn't. But then I, I, I definitely have had early on where someone goes okay well i can go through that corner 20 miles an hour faster than you can and you're like okay does that mean i can just go 20 miles an hour faster and it'll be okay (laughs) (laughs) that's what you know that's uh, yeah that's one of the issues with with coaching at the track and not working on your your core technique and coaching at the circuits does definitely have its its place but if you just look at a speed trace on the data that's only half the information. We're not looking at the the the, the platform of the car and the balance of the car. Essentially, mm. you can't just copy and paste it. And you know, you could be get, you know, it, for example, if if cops was uh, was was a little lift on a particular day because the wind was behind you. Where are you doing that lift? Are you supporting the rear as you're going in, or are you still decelerating as you, as as you turn the car into the corner? If you're decelerating and the weight's on the front of the car, then it, it might be that the car oversteers when you turn it in. And so your brain instinctively says, that's it. Yeah. I'm not going any faster than that. I'm already decelerating and the thing's on the limit. So 
that's it, we're done. And that's one of the issues that drivers have because they just get stuck in this kind of false feedback um, where they don't think that it's possible to go quicker. Well, if you ask yourself the question, which end of the car is limiting me, the rear in that particular case, what can I do with with my inputs to, to readdress this imbalance and actually made the lift either a little bit softer or got back on the accelerator so we sit the rear of the car down a little, then it will redistribute that grip to the rear of the car and actually you could go through there half a mile an hour or yeah. one mile an hour quicker. I definitely find it super interesting watching... Yes, you can see a data trace and you can be like, oh my God, that person's so much faster through there or whatever. But watching an in-car footage of the steering wheel with inputs in it yeah you get so much more of an idea one of like exactly where they're placed on the track and then as time's gone on i've definitely got better at looking at that stuff the first time you watch someone in car you're just like oh wow they're fast and then over time i've started looking at smaller and smaller and smaller things whether it's like specific parts of their hand inputs or yeah. where the left tire is and, or you know attitude of car but it's like an endless can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot going on, isn't there? I mean, if you're going to analyse someone's driving style, you need to see the steering wheel, you need to see where the car's positioned, and ideally you want to see the pedals. You need yeah. to see what they're doing on the pedals because you could be looking at someone and they could be really harsh with the pedals, whether it's the brake or coming out of the throttle, and causing this lower limit of, of grip and, and making the car oversteer or understeer. So just looking at the video still isn't the full story. Mm. You've, got to, um, you've, got to, you've got to look at everything because it's such a complex situation. Do you have a... So you deal with people from full ends of the spectrum, I guess, of driver ability. From <laughs> Do you get some like serious, serious novices up to, obviously very fast people um i've had a few people who have only done a few track days yeah and then to the top end where they're they're winning races and championships Uh, obviously there's certain processes of getting from one end to the other but if someone were to actively you know put a lot of time and the right stuff how long do you think it should take someone um that's a difficult one moderately quick i would not not to get very very fast obviously well if you, it depends on seat time. I mean, motorsports are a strange case, isn't it? Because it's not like we can go and get a golf lesson every three times a week. Yeah. You know, uh, at the most, people are probably doing a day a week if they if they put a lot and of time. And that's a lot. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of time and a lot of expense. Um, so that varies wildly, doesn't it? Because some people are only on track 10 or 15 times a year. Other people are on track 40 or 50 times a year. Yeah. So that makes a, a big difference. Um if I mean Richard, uh, my partner, yeah. Drive Sixty One, is a is a is a good example because he he started from fresh. He, I think he'd done a couple of track days. Yeah. And I first met him at Brands Hatch when I'd I'd won the the Radical Championship. He'd done a couple of. Da- I'm sure he won't mind me saying this. He'd done a couple of track days and and what, whatever he'd done before and gone almost straight into the Radical SL1 oh, championship. Okay, yeah. And I met him looking quite sheepish out the back of the <laughs> out the back of the garages. And he'd just discovered that racing was a different world to track days. <laughs> <laughs> so ignoring the couple of days that he'd done before I met him, we started afresh. And that's where the inspiration for my, my masterclass came mm. from, is that we went to Blyton Park in uh, near Gainsborough, which is a, a small private track. Yeah. And we went there for 
three days in his Porsche in a road car. I said to him, get a road car, nice and soft, and we'll just work on the, the fundamental techniques. Get mm. your vision right. We spent half a day just working on his vision, like half a day. Look here, look here, scan between. Just getting him out of that natural um, urge to look close to the car uh, and, and not have a broad view of, of, the, of the circuit. Did that, then began to understand uh, the, the weight transfer, started to get a bit quicker. And by the end of those few days, he was, he was significantly better. And doing it in a road car, obviously you learn a lot quicker than you would do in, a, in an SR1 yeah. Radical because it's, it's too fast almost. Um, so then he went from that to being, you know, he's, he's quick now. He'll get within yeah. half a second or a second of me on, on, on most test days. In, in a radical, which is in itself is quite a tricky yeah. tricky car to drive. And he did that over two years, just over two years, and uh, did a reasonable amount of testing. So I think that's about as quickly How as many, you can do it. If you, if you said a reasonable amount of testing, what, like 20 days? Yeah, I'd say 20, 25 days. Yeah. 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 And effective testing as well, because there's no point that's in taking it, yeah. a radical on a track day where you're going to be tripping over people all the time. One of the advantages of doing the masterclass at uh, Bruntingthorpe is that there's no other traffic there. So the repetition and the flow that uh, a client gets into yeah. is massive. The effective time that you spend there on the limit or around the limit actually learning what, it, what, what, what the car's doing is substantially more than you would get on a, a test or a track day because you're just interrupted all the time. So there's that, but then there's also that, you know, picking the right day to go and test test on mm. and if you can go and do a quieter day either at the start or the end of the year or a semi-exclusive day then even though they're more expensive uh, it's probably worth uh worth your while because you're going to spend a lot more time quality time in that day learning yeah in the right area yeah i think that was something that was great at when we were at Bruntingthorpe is because we're both sitting in the car and you're driving around and there isn't really anyone else around you can just some an issue comes up and you can just stop, basically, and talk about it. Yeah. And then crack on. Yeah. Whereas if you're at a test day or something like that, generally you go out and you do like a 20-minute session. Yeah. And then you come back in and then you talk about it. Yeah. For 15 minutes and then you go back out again. Whereas rather than just get you, that immediate... Obviously, you can have someone in the car, but you can't talk to each other in the car. Not particularly well. You can no. sort of wave and punch. <laughs> yeah. But it isn't like slowing down and saying, okay, Sam, have a think about this technique yeah. and, and then go and try and do this. And going back, going back to what we were saying about how quickly you can do it. Say, for example, Richard did 50 or 60 days over those two years and now he's half a second or a second off me on a typical track. Yeah. That puts him within a percent of, of what I can do. Yeah. So to get an amateur driver to be within a percent of of someone who's been doing it all of their life over only 50 days of practice is incredible. I find that with, with racing, that it's amazing that, that people can get up to and somewhere close to the speed of a professional over a very short period. Yeah. You compare that to tennis or something. I, you know, if you, if you did 50, uh, 50 days of practice of tennis and then went and play, played a world champion, yeah. there's no way that you'd be within 1% of him. Yeah, it's crazy that, isn't it? Like the ability of how quickly you can progress. I think I, when I started, I had this belief that there were just some people that were better drivers than others. And then after doing not much training and not many test days, I'd got significantly better. And you suddenly go, hang on, these guys are like fast, 
but they're not like I can I can see I, it. Can, I could see how you could get there. Um, and I I haven't done that much testing. I think I did I did two seasons of SR one, um, and I did the testing. I did the sort of the Friday testings for that. So I don't know twenty days or something over two years, and then I've done a bit since then. So probably another five days. But the amount you progress if you do it properly. You can progress so much in just like an hour or there's they almost just doing seat time is great. And I think for definitely for my wet confidence, yeah. I, I know what I need to do. I just need to be more comfortable in that uncomfortable environment yeah. and you'll get faster. But I can't remember what I was going to say. Going down some route <laughs> about the amount of time that you'd been that you spent in the car. You'd only done twenty five days. Yeah, or so, and the, the, the the leaps forwards that we can. Make. Yeah, leaps forwards are massive. And I remember coming across some people at the beginning. So there was one guy who came in and he was just way faster than everyone else, like way faster. And and then I spoke to someone and they said, "Oh yeah, but he went and did like he did something ridiculous, like forty test days before the season started." <laughs> And you go, okay, well, I've done two. So, yeah, I get that. Yeah. I'm not going to try, like, I'm not going to try, you're not going to suddenly wake up one day and be eight seconds a lap faster. But if you do the right things, there's definitely click moments. Yeah. Well, I've had yeah. where I've, I've something suddenly clicked and I've been three seconds faster. Yeah. Or yeah. that but sort of stuff. If you get the, the fundamental technique right, in one corner, then you get it right in every corner. And so two tenths of a second in, if you, you know, it's not much to gain yeah. two tenths of a second. You do that in every corner, it's two, three seconds. Yeah. So, um, so it, it obviously makes a massive difference. So they're the moments when the things click and, and drivers will race up to probably being two or three seconds off the pace. And then it requires the finesse and, and, and a bit more experience to really, you know, those last two or three seconds are where we move the limit from being down here yeah. and move it up based on the inputs that you're putting into the car and based on understanding and beginning to understand the setup of the car. Yeah, because when you drive past someone who's going even, let's say, let's say they're going five seconds a lap slower than you, that feels like a, they're basically going backwards. Yeah. <laughs> which is crazy because over the, you know, they're not going slowly and they feel like they're on the limit. And obviously I, I know there's, People will come past me like this at times where you're just like, what is this guy doing? Like, <laughs> you're like, you're on the limit, you're sliding, and they're just driving past you. Like, what the <laughs> That's because the limit isn't necessarily the limit. The limit is you, not the limit. With the spiky, <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> with the spiky input, you get a lower limit, and that's why you can feel like, you know, you get, you're driving around as fast as it will go, and actually you're not. So you have done a bunch of coaching for a long period of time have you worked for some manufacturers in that regard and stuff like that yeah i've coached for quite a few of them i've when i was younger worked with ferrari uh with their with their track day and, and racing club uh worked a couple of times for mclaren um I've, you know yeah do you still do you still do that or no not so much no i just focus now so i'm doing the master class and i'm looking at some other products that we can put yeah. through um through the website, the website itself takes up a lot of time. I'm trying to refocus this year on on doing uh, more more videos for drivers, um, like so another uh, university series right. on setup. So I'm oh, doing cool. that in um, 
in association with somebody else yeah. and um, trying to I, I've seen that um, the information out there for, for setup is either not very good or just complete hardcore physics yeah and so to get to i, I want to give drivers something that they can actually use so explaining that from a driving perspective but also what it's doing mechanically and merging the two things together uh to to put together a it'll be free again a free course um to begin to understand setup and then actually how we go about making those changes so what the dampers do what the springs do what the rolls bars what the roll bar does and um actually from the beginning how to know when we should begin to make set, yeah. set of changes. Because if you're not that's super important. If you're not aware of what's happening with the car, then you definitely shouldn't be changing the setup because <laughs> you you'll just end up going down the the, the wrong route and um, and make the car worse. Because I've definitely had that I come in and the mechanics go, Okay, so what do you guys want us to change in the car? And I'm like, No, I'm not like, <laughs> I'm not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When I'm there to that point then we'll change something. They're like, but yeah, but you're getting understeer. I'm like, I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe I am. Maybe a, I'm not. That's a, again, that's a capacity thing that like we mentioned before, if you're just, if you're just driving the car, you know, and it takes a lot of capacity to drive a quick car, like a radical, you can't process the information and then re- retain the information about what the car's doing in a slow speed corner, mm. a high speed corner, a medium speed corner. And then throughout the corner, in the different phases of the corner, then then you're better off, you know, you made the right decision not making a setup change. The step into that is, is quite difficult. So um, you can prepare yourself because if you start to make notes on the indiv- individual areas of the corner, what you think the car's doing, and then go and look at your data and your video and try and confirm what you believe to have happened is actually the truth, yeah. then you start to... Uh, actively think about it when you're on the track and tra- and retain that information, and then you can come in and actually be secure in the fact that the the the, the feedback that you have from the car is is correct. Yeah, definitely, and it is. I think, like you're saying, quite a lot. I've I've bought a couple of books on setup, and you start them, and then you suddenly you're in this weird rabbit hole of like serious like engineering type stuff. Yeah. And like okay, okay, okay. Like I. Yes, I understand if you're building suspension. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. For a race car, you want to know about where all these, like, polar moments of inertia and whatever and how it all works out and stuff like that but i just want to know okay if the car does this then what should i do yeah or you know like a, a basic guide to 
like there's a, a really good photography book that's like you want it to do this this is what you do, do this yeah um, yeah well that's what that's what we're, that's what i'm aiming to do oh, cool. uh because because there's a big hole then no one's got that information and people are very interested in in in, in learning how to set a car up properly mm. and it's massively beneficial you know um although you can drive around a lot of the problems i'm still making setup changes throughout a weekend to to make my job easier to yeah. make it easier for me to be consistent um all through a race and 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 as the tires go off and so on yeah like if you've got a car that chronically understeers like you've it's the right pain in the ass. Yeah, and with, and with understeer, it's it's difficult because if you think about it, you, you can you can adapt on the corner entry, maybe trail break in a little yeah. bit more to keep the weight on the nose. But once you've made the transition to getting on the throttle, there's nothing really you can do. The rear of the car sat down. Yeah. So how are you going to get more grip to the front of the car? You've just got to be patient. And so in that circumstance, giving the front uh, a little bit more grip will be massively beneficial yeah. to... Uh, to your time i think i have had a sort of allergic reaction to understeer in my driving experience and so much so that my cars are always set up way too oversteering but i, I quite like it because it's kind of fun but <laughs> <laughs> definitely had it to the point a lot where i've had, always had problems with brake bias for some reason like i turn it to the front it's not at the front but Various cars like my SL1, we definitely had issue. It was it was a car issue, not a, a thing. But that every time I pulled the press the brakes, it was like ripping a handbrake. It's like doing some sort of Formula Drift series in the <laughs> SL1. Um, but a lot of fun. So you've raced a bunch of cars, lots of different stuff. If you have you, is it like full spectrum? Have you gone? What's the? I don't know. If you you raced a bunch of old stuff, you've definitely driven a bunch of of formula one cars what have you what's sort of the most interesting or biggest spread of stuff you've driven have you, have you basically um, just driven I've a lot of stuff yeah <laughs> um well on tuesday i was driving an mx5 at brands hatch yeah um <laughs> so just going going back to richard again so he got quick in, in the radical and um but his race starts and his racecraft are uh, uh, aren't as good as it, it could yeah. be, and in the radical championship, you know the the overtaking is difficult because you got aero, so you you get mm. uh, you get less grip when you're following somebody, and then the overtaking maneuver is very very short. Um, so he's actually driving an MX5 this year, so he can learn some wheel to wheel racing, which yeah. is which is fantastic. So anyway, I was in the MX5 on Tuesday, and then today I've been in a 98 Benetton, just doing a, a shakedown test. But uh, yeah, so a big spectrum. Uh, between the cars i've i've raced historic cars i've raced modern cars um gt cars single seaters prototype cars i've been very fortunate to be a, around motorsport yeah, for, for a long that's time that's pretty cool if in a in a sort of if you had to condense it down to sort of one thing what's the most fun you've had like racing or is there like a certain car that you go that's the most fun or is like is there something that you said a part of racing certain cars or certain types of certain scenarios that you enjoy the most yeah uh the, honestly the car doesn't make that much difference i like having a race right a proper race with some good drivers um the wheel to wheel racing and that doesn't matter what it's in and actually generally in the slower stuff you get better racing you know yeah, i did the um did the former ford classic formula ford festival in uh, in last last october my dad has a uh, classic Formula Ford car as well. So he, mm. I used his his other car and we, we both went racing. And oh, awesome. that, that was a lot of fun, you know. I'm 
like karting again. I'm at the track with my old man. Yeah. And, uh, but the racing there was just fantastic. Like, um, a couple of young guys doing it. I'm 33, so I'm not, not the oldest driver on the grid, but a couple of young upcoming drivers are doing it. There's an old fella, older fella in there as well who raced with Senna in Formula oh, 4, beat fit. Senna in Formula 4, so he's still <laughs> quick. Uh, so there were a bunch of us up there, four or five cars, nose to tail, racing in the wet around Brands. Mm. And it's just, you know, it's just when you're nose to tail like that and you're thinking about the strategy as you go through the race, it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So for me... It's more having a race. You know, those Formula 4 cars aren't quick at all, uh, but it's the racing, the wheel-to-wheel racing and, and beating somebody, setting them up for an overtaking manoeuvre at the right time of the race yeah. so that they can't get you back uh, before the line. Yeah, I think if I had to say the most fun I've had racing, that driving the Radicals has been great, it's been really fast, but uh, the C1 24-hour race, I did yeah. at Spa recently, like, mega battles and there's different classes of car and there's like any track day if you're in a slow car and you overtake a fast car it's like the best thing ever but if you're doing that with like three people mobbing and you're going front and they go in front that was so much fun and i think richard had a bit of the same thing of like you want you want to go you want to go racing like yeah and a large a significant part of the sr3s is it's just so expensive. And because of that, and the small, it's not tons of cars, it's not massive, and the aero and things, people don't get, it's not really intense racing. Whereas as soon as the budgets go down for now, whoever you may be, an SR3 may be that budget, or, you know, a GT3 car may be that budget, but you want to not be worrying about the car price or damaging something oh. as being an issue. I think absolutely. I think uh, if you're having to think about damaging the car, then it puts you in a very difficult position, doesn't it? I mean, I don't know if nat- naturally I don't think about that, and I think yeah. if I did think about that, I wouldn't be racing um, because because you know we're, we're driving around and we we want to be racing properly. I think going back to what you said before about the radicals and and the quicker cars, driving a car like that whether it's a Radical or a LMP3 car or an F1 car, a classic F1 car, um, part of the fun is driving a quick car quickly, mm. you know. But once you've done that, if the racing isn't very good, you might as well be on a test day. Yeah. Right. So once the enjoyment of actually just driving the thing on the limit, which is fantastic, don't get me wrong, it's a massive challenge yeah, in a mega. quick car. But then add to that the proper proper racing, which you tend to get in the non aero and actually cheaper series because the grids tend to be bigger. Yeah. Um, that's just a, you know, just a hoot, isn't it? When you're, when you're laughing, when you're going around and, and just trying to tease somebody up yeah. for an overtake manoeuvre. Like I've raced at the, uh, at Spa as well in the Funk Up 25 mm. hour race. Yeah. Much like the, the C1 championship is like that the cars aren't particularly quick, but you get grids of a hundred cars. Yeah. And like, how is that not fun? It's like, it's like indoor karting on a stack <laughs> party, isn't it? But at a spa <laughs> yeah. in the nighttime. So it's like, it's just fantastic. And um, yeah, so the real enjoyment, um, once you've got over the... Maybe I'd be in a different position if I wasn't, hadn't been lucky enough to drive all these fast cars. Mm. But, um, but for me, it's just the racing. Yeah. yeah. The, something that definitely seems to happen with is you were saying you're, you don't necessarily think about the value of the car. But does that change if you're driving... Like, let's say you were driving, someone hands me the keys and they say, and they don't care about it, and they're like, 
drive that as fast as possible. That's one thing. And then there's, you're paying for it. It's your car. <laughs> it's very different, isn't it? Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, it is actually because I got asked to race. Well, I had so much fun in Richard's uh, MX5 yeah. that I thought, well, you know, I might, I might just do a race. It'd be a laugh, yeah. and, and to be to be in there with with Rich, and we could do a bit in testing and 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 start to get him used to the racecraft. Um, someone said, "Oh, you can come and drive this car." It was reasonably cheap. Yeah, but I've not. <laughs> It sounds bad, but I've been lucky enough not to have to pay for yeah. for, for racing ever really. Full stop, yeah. Full stop. So I was going to have to pay for this. And it wasn't really the cost of the weekend, but it was the cost of if I got fired off or went off. Mm. Uh, but if I got, you know, if I got fired off and, and, and wrote the car off, then that, that would obviously fall on uh, you, yeah. Yeah, be full on me. And when when you're not racing with someone, that just falls solely on me. And so, um, so I'm not doing it because yeah. I would actually be thinking about the cost of the car as we yeah. mentioned before and i'd prefer not to race uh, yeah. because if i'm going to go racing I'm, i wouldn't be able to do it yeah i wouldn't be able to back out of something because i'd be thinking about the car i'd be yeah. i'd get too involved <laughs> so, <laughs> so so i'm not doing it um, maybe i'll do something later in the year but i just uh, i thought i should just be a bit careful <laughs> yeah that was the first like driving the c1 for example there was we had five people we agreed to split all the costs in the car yeah so our max liability was like a couple of hundred pounds each or something. Right. If we just, okay, we did probably a bit more, maybe like 500 quid if we like totaled the car. Yeah. And that, obviously you're in a 24 hour race, you want to finish. But that's the only regard I had for this car in any way, <laughs> shape or form. was like, I don't want to damage it because I want to finish. And if, yeah. we, if I damage it, that'd be a right pain in the ass. But other than that, you're like, I'm going to, like, I'm going for all these things that you, you just take that out of the equation. And did that affect you when you were in the in the radical? What you thinking? It does. About that? It does affect me in the radical. Yeah, that's uh, it. Obviously, I, I I don't know. I think that from my perspective, that makes it quite difficult, doesn't it? Mm. I, I'd prefer to go and race something that you don't have to worry about yeah. and can race hard and properly than uh, than having to back out of something or drive. Like it will affect you subconsciously, won't it? I think it's, thinking about it. I'm not. If I'm in the dry in the radical, I'm not so like it doesn't. Once I sort of get going, I think I sort of forget about it. Obviously, you don't want to crash, but that's also I don't want to hit anything solid after going very fast. It might hurt. Um, the one of the things I worry about in the radicals is some of the other cars, yeah, who are just loose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. People, some people just take people out, and then they don't really care about it, and they're like, they've just written off your expensive car, and they're like, oh, sorry, mate. It's a yeah, it's, it's a bit of an issue, isn't it, in in, in club racing? Well, in almost a sport because. You know, there's varying levels of of how Finance important the car is, yeah, to to to, to the driver. So it's uh, it's a, obviously a difficult thing to manage. And when you're looking at the championships, you just hope that the the uh, the, the the officials take the the right route with that. Yeah, I would say most of the most of the drivers I've come across are like super nice, care about each other. They don't want to smash their car up. They definitely don't want to smash your car up. Like I. I can accept that if I make a mistake and I write off my car, that's on me. If I write off someone else's car, that's like, well, I mean, I'm not paying for it, but I feel really, really bad. I'd feel way worse damaging a wing on someone's car than I would like crunching the front on my car. 
Yeah, yeah, of course, because they're just an innocent bystander, yeah. really. If you if you if you drive into them, for example, obviously it gets a bit grey in some areas when uh, when it's a racing incident or it's part, you know, both people's fault and one of them comes off worse. It's a, it's a difficult situation, but you're always going to have that. Yeah, is um now I'm I'm quite like a sort of engineeringy, physicsy type person, um, and when I learn about stuff, I I'm quite I want to talk about physics or not necessarily you know i don't want numbers or whatever but you can just explain this is what the tire is doing yeah and this is why that's that yeah and i'm good with that are do you come across different people that learn differently or like younger people and older people or men and women or that people need different styles do you have to adapt to that quite a lot um I, I wouldn't say so. I think if you give it enough information, like you've just explained, this is what the suspension's doing and this is why it's doing it, for mm-hmm. example, then that's enough. You don't need to go into the, 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 the deep physics of it. You just need to explain mechanically what's yeah. going on because then they can feel it and they can they can adapt to that. The, the, the difference in people is how they behave when they feel like the car's out of control. Right. Um, or, or just bringing them up into that area gently. So basically when they get a, sh- a shot of adrenaline or when the red mist mm-hmm. comes down, some people find it quite hard to, to become comfortable in that area. Um, so that's where you might have to coach somebody in a slightly different different way. Yeah. Do you do... You do I, I know something that was massively beneficial for me was doing some drifting or, you know, going to somewhere where you can just put your foot down and feel the car spins out. Like it does that sort of thing do you try and get people to do that early is that something you would try to get people to do early on or do you sort of wait until or is it obviously it's tailored I, to the individual i think that's useful for if you've never experienced oversteer before yeah for example and, and beginning to understand how to control that i do think that controlling oversteer is quite a natural thing for us to to correct and counter steer uh but there's a point where actually it's it's a negative because what you might learn on some of those days is that or some of those training days is is to make the car slide and bring the limit down as, yeah. as far as you can. So when you're drifting, you're actually trying to make the car slide at the slowest speed possible. Yeah. When we're, when we're on track, we're trying to do the opposite of that. So for that reason, you'll be Bar, bar, hard on the accelerator trying to disrupt the rear you'll yeah. flick the car into the corner on the brakes to get the car to rotate or oversteer as early as possible so it is beneficial to if you're not used to the car sliding mm. but then actually the things that you have to do to get it there aren't beneficial for driving on track yeah yeah and it is at the end of it, it's all weight management and tires and stuff that you either drift or you don't drift. But. Yeah, if, if you can be conscious enough to to understand why the thing's drifting, whether you're getting the weight on the nose and yeah. then turning the car, then and and actively then change when you get on track, then that's fine. But if you're developing some kind of muscle memory based on the drifting oh, and the yeah. car control, then it's a massive negative because you'll start turning the car in hard and, mm. and, and maybe lifting off the accelerator too hard or whatever it may be. So, yeah, it, you, ha- you treat it with caution, really, when you do those types of things. Something I found very difficult was, and it was, I didn't, I think it, it could have just been any car, but fast cornering and then cars starting to slide. Like, building up to that point where you're comfortable going over that limit and then... There was a big like aha moment. It was, let's say, in the radical. I think I was 
can't remember where I was, maybe Maggots Beckett's or someone like that. Or there was that that fast right hander after the um, international pits. Uh, Turn one farm is it farm, farm or Abbey? It's Abbey, farm. Abbey or farm? I think yeah. it's Abbey, Abbey farm. farm. Turn one and, and turn no. two. So you, in an SR three, you're like flat, flat in fifth or something. Yeah, and you just turn in, and then the car started to slide, and it caught it, and and like it was a little bit of an adjustment. You're like, oh, I'm okay, okay, cool. Like sliding at whatever 120 yeah. with loads of aero, it's very similar to sliding at 30 with no not much aero. In, in in the basic concepts of how the car moves. It doesn't... Yeah. I had this vision, and I, I think some cars may, depending on tyres, whatever, where the car just suddenly, like, explodes and off you go into a wall. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it all depends how you approach it, doesn't it? The the slide is a, a mirror image of the, the input that you put into it. So if, you're, if you've got bad technique, if you've got poor technique, and you're turning the thing in hard and maybe lifting at the same time, then it... If you if you do those inputs over a, a short piece of tarmac, then the slide is going to be equally over a short piece of tarmac and it's yeah. going to be snappy. Whereas if you blend everything in really smoothly, the slide will be progressive. There's, that, that's just how it is. And yeah. so if you get the core technique right from the beginning, actually when you then reach the limit, whether it's a slow corner or a fast corner, it's going to do it in, in, in a smooth way. The added complication at a corner like turn one is that you're probably crossing over the direction of wind there so right, all yeah. of a sudden you've got a, a change in the amount of grip that you've got definitely at cops the way that the wind comes across at silverstone mm. you're going from probably having a headwind and then into a crosswind so you get a, a, a very quick decrease yeah. in, in in grip and so that's why it can be difficult because you're turning in and you've got one sensation and then all of a sudden you get a slightly different balance in the car yeah and it definitely it's building up to that like training high speed stuff is that something that people tend to struggle with or some people get it straight away no it's more difficult when you're um when you're going quickly for sure because well because you're going quicker you're using more capacity the alarm bells are going off uh but you can do things in a in a in a certain intelligent way for example testing at silverstone national if you want to get used to a quick corner National circuit's only, is it 1.2 miles, maybe 1.3 miles long. So you get massive repetition. Cops is a great corner uh, because it's almost flat out in in a lot of cars. It's a quick corner. And you've got loads of runoff on the outside. So it means that you can put yourself in a position where you're learning about a quick corner, but with a decent safety margin. Plus you get massive repetition because it's a short lap. And so you can learn very quickly. It goes back to what we were saying about learning in the most efficient way possible. Yeah, I've definitely been off like deep down there, but <laughs> being completely, you know, you run like a couple of car lengths off the side and you're fine. Like it's okay. But you know, when you're going in, sometimes you're like, ah, mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the, I mean, it's, 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 it's the same for me. The, the, I, 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 it, it's great that the runoff's there from a safety perspective, but it completely changes the, 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 the way that you approach uh, a new day or a new car yeah. at, at that circuit because it used to be when there was grass and gravel there that you would um, have to approach it probably over five or ten laps to build yeah. up to the speed. Now, lap two, you're probably going to go wide and then you rein it in yeah. a little bit. And it means that you find the limit in, in, in just a handful of laps rather than 10 laps. Yeah. So it, it makes the differences in, in skill level um, less apparent because everyone can do it a lot. You know, my advice now when we go coaching, and I don't like myself for it, <laughs> but my advice is go in there, 
a little bit quicker than you expect and run wide yeah. and then bring it back because it's a more efficient way to find the limits through quick, a quick yeah. run. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one, that one. Do you have, um, if you could give the audience a couple of things like to improve their driving like right now in like a little three phrases or whatever, do you have certain things that maybe you would say everyone can benefit from pretty much? Yeah, definitely. Like a quick... Uh, vision, vision is the most important thing. Um, if you're making the transition from road driving to track driving, or even if you've got experience on track already, most people um, aren't looking far enough ahead. So you need to be looking, when you're on the brakes, for example, you need to be looking down at the apex because that's where you're going to be. Just before you get to the apex, you need to be looking at the exit. You need to give yourself that information. Mm. If you're only looking 15 metres in front of the car, you'll run out of road really quickly and you won't be able to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you're looking at the the clock. (laughs) Um, Then you're not going to be able to make the right decisions. But then, as I've discovered more and more from the the masterclass days, which I'm learning a lot from actually because Mm. the car is the same the track's the same it's only the driver that's a variable so it means that rather than going to coach a, a track with a different driver and a different yeah. car there's only one variable one thing that i found is that drivers who have a reasonable amount of experience and have been racing for a while know that they should be looking a long way ahead and actually put too much attention on looking so far ahead that they don't scan back Right. And filling the information about where the position of the car is and their route to where they're looking. So first thing is to look ahead at the next point. So look at the apex when you're on the brakes. Look at the exit just before you get to the apex. But you've still got to scan back and forth to understand the position of the car at that particular time. So it's a, there's a lot of scanning going on. That's mm. the biggest piece of advice. And that's where people will make the the biggest step forwards because you're giving yourself a lot more information yeah and i definitely think driving like, like doing this sort of day in the mx5 as you're saying all the limits are lower your speeds are lower you have that mental capacity and i think you would, would you say the thing that goes let's say you're looking plenty ahead but then stuff starts to get tricky or you start to be going faster is that the first one of the first things that goes when people's mental capacity goes down yeah yeah exactly you start looking at hands rather than down there they, I think their capacity is the same. They just use more of it. And yeah. it's a natural reaction, you know, when we feel threatened or attacked. Yeah. Uh, we get tunnel vision, we get focused. And so it's a, at the moment when you, you actually need to have, take a broad and long vision of where you're heading in the car, we bring our vision down and uh, and close to the car, which is obviously the, the wrong thing to do. And it happens to me sometimes. It's an instinctive thing to do when you feel like you're going too fast. If I'm a new circuit or in a car, a quick, you know, an F1 car that I haven't been in for, for six months or so, my vision, I can feel it come down and close to the car mm. and I have to consciously move it further forwards um, so I'm getting the information from the track. Yeah. That happens in so many different things as well. Like if you, I don't know, I don't know you ski or mountain bike or anything like that, you know, you look at the tree, you hit the tree. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then you know about it, don't you? <laughs> um, do you, so on that day you were sitting left seat or right seat if you're in America. Do you, does that freak you out much or do you try and avoid it generally? Do you, do you end up having to do much passengering coaching 
with random people? Is that possibly why you... Well, I mean, um, I get new clients coming to do the masterclass quite often. Mm. I've spent my whole life in the in the passenger seat. This year, I worked out the other day, I'm going to do over 25,000 miles in the passenger really? seat just this <laughs> year. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm doing... On track. Uh, on, on track, yeah. Yeah, yeah, at speed. Well, yeah. like the day that, that, that we did. Um and from that, you get a lot of experience. So I know halfway around the first lap where I need to be with, with, the, with the driver. Yeah. Um, when they come to see me at Bruntingthorpe, I show them the circuit and then get them in the, the driver's seat for four or five laps. And when a driver's learning a new track and a new car, no matter how slow it is, they're driving more on instinct because they're using more of their capacity. Yeah. And so their default kind of their technique at that point rises to the surface really quickly. So straight away, I know whether, where, whether I need to slow them down or not. Now it really happens actually, because the people who come to do the masterclass with me want to learn. They've watched the tutorials on, on the website. They're, they're perfect clients yeah. really. Um, it's like a great filter that they come through those tutorials because it shows that they're interested and they, they want to learn. Um, so already I'm starting with a, a good group of, of drivers. Um, but the way that we, that I structure the day is working on, you know, taking a couple of sessions to work on the core technique, even if they're really experienced, because a lot of, really fast drivers because they know the circuits so well and they know the cars so well they can actually bring some of the 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 fundamental techniques like vision they 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 change that because they know the tracks so well um so even with those guys we have to go through these really simple techniques to just get them get them sorted um but yeah once we've got that the, the the fundamental techniques sorted then reaching the limit because we're doing it in the right way um is 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 a breeze so i can happily sit next to everybody have the car sliding around even in the quick corners getting them to to think about their technique and it's it's completely fine you don't just suddenly go i'm gonna die <laughs> <laughs> no there was this one one guy called sam actually where i thought that but that, that was the only occasion <laughs> Scott tried to pull the handbrake on me. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's a little trick. If we're, if we're running out of road and we're understeering, I just pull the handbrake on and, and turn, turn it a little bit. <laughs> well, you know, I've done I've done many miles there already this year, and we've only had one spin. Yeah, not with you, it was with somebody yeah. else, but only had one spin because the way that we approach it is is the right way. I don't want to, you know, it's a it has a compound effect. You need to give the driver the proper technique, which then means that the feedback that they get from the car is secure, which then breeds confidence, which means that they can then get closer and closer to the limit yeah. all the time through the corner. So there's a definite way to do that where it, again, it minimises the risk. You know, And yeah. it's not because I'm trying to protect myself in a safe way. It's because it's the best way to get up to speed. Yeah. They, um, I, early on, I remember, you know, people say like, "Oh, if you're not cra- if you don't crash, you're not trying," which is, <laughs> I, I think is an awful phrase. That's a terrible expression. If you're, in, yeah. if you're <laughs> driving cars, because you meet people, and I've, there's a couple of people I could say who've been in various series, SR3 and whatever, and they come back at the end of the season and they've been like, like, like written off like four cars, and you sort of go like, "Dude, no, what?" what are you doing? Like it's clear, you know, they go out and then they fly off the track and they suddenly come back in and they're like, I don't know. And yeah. it, it seems to be 
like I, a big learning point for me was you can just nudge up to that limit yeah and you can nudge over that limit exactly it's okay. yeah like you don't just all that happens is you run a foot wide not 50 foot wide maybe in the wet you, that, that <laughs> might happen but that's just because you're becoming more refined with that. I mean, there are de- different ver- ver- varying levels of mistakes. Mm. If we go into a corner two miles an hour too quickly, we're just going to miss the apex by a few meters. Yeah. But if we, you know, take a massive chunk out of it, then then we could go off and go go in the barrier. So I think those types of drivers that that, that might crash a lot um, try. To, you know, they force the issue to happen. They'll be driving around on the limit, on a limit, on their mm. limit. But and then try to force the speed to come. Yeah. Not thinking about, not taking a step back, getting the technique right, and then building into that. They just try to kind of manhandle yeah, like, the limit and someone force it else to went through their flat. It feels sketchy me going around in like a gear below, but I'm just going to try it flat. Exactly. And the platform of the car is in a completely different attitude, and so they haven't got the grip available because they'll be limited severely by either end of the car, um, and that's when they make the big mistakes and they end up going in the wall. <laughs> so good fun. So, uh, so you've started putting stuff on YouTube and this is where this sort of, this part of the Marshcast bit started from. Uh, did you, did you find, have you, did you find it tricky getting on camera? Yeah. I mean, yeah, in the beginning it was, it was difficult. I, uh, I started, you know, I'm not a natural by any means. And, uh, I started with a script initially and uh, you know, got an auto cue and, and tried these different things, and it looks so wooden and, and so bad that in the end, I've settled on uh, you know I make bullet points and and just to remind me, and then start talking about a particular topic. And you know, I know the topics well, so it just flows easily. People tell me that I explain the things reasonably clearly, but I feel like I'm rambling a lot of the time. But you know, if it, if it works for people and the feedback that I get is fantastic, so it's, it, you know, it's great. It's always great to hear that. Yeah, it's been good. I, I love when you get the whiteboard out. You know, draw some <laughs> circles and apexes and whatever. It's been pretty good. Uh, what do you, do you think, have any stuff that you're looking forward to in the future moving on with that? Are you going to... Well, actually, no, we talked about it earlier. You're going to do this series on setup and... Yeah, so I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna do the, the series on setup. I uh, I emailed uh, our big list uh, email list on Drive sixty one a few weeks ago to get some inspiration for questions what people were mm. asking. So we got like two hundred questions back. Oh nice! So I'm gonna spend a, a few weeks uh, filming the answers to those questions and 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 put the content out on YouTube and on the website. Um, continue with the masterclass. Uh, it's you know it's been really really amazing how popular it's been we're fully booked for the next month how do people find find that if um if they just google drive 61 masterclass it should pop up there and uh, and the the information's there there's a little video from me explaining how it's different from normal coaching and 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 what the benefits are and then the drivers can inquire and 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 we release the dates a month before uh because i only get the the dates from the circuit a month before the actual date um and i'm just designing at the moment a, a high performance driving course as well, which won't be with me. They'll be yeah. with some Drive Sixty One trained okay. instructors, but we're looking to to work with performance drivers yeah. as well. I um, yeah, I think the the course that you know that we did 
or you gave to me, I participated <laughs> in, um, was really good. And I've done loads of different stuff with loads of different people. And there's something about this that you can't replicate on a test day of going to somewhere like Brantingthorpe and breaking it down and not being, you're not in the back of your mind just thinking, I just need to get faster yeah. because you're in a completely different car and a completely different location where there are no lap times that like you care about. And it's just really good to sort of take a big step back, chuck all the ego out the window yeah, and just start and go, right, okay, this is what I don't know. Like, let's work on that. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, a lot, of, you know, even the guys that are winning championships that come to see me, we find some reasonably big improvements mm. in their technique, whether it be just making the tyres last a bit longer or being more consistent or minimising the risk, as we mentioned. Doing that at Brenton Thorpe, parked under one of the planes there in a Master MX-5, like you say, it removes the ego. It's something completely different. There's no other cars around. So like, all I want to do with that, that course is is make it as uh, efficient and valuable for drivers as possible and i think you know we're i'm still learning still changing a few few little things with the course but it's uh it's definitely a, it's a, it's a valuable day yeah and i think it's like it's really good all the, the free content and stuff you've put out and it's it's got actual information in it if, if you're just like you might look at the title sometimes of stuff that someone's written and gone like you get a bit and then you read it and it's just waffle but like, this is this has got I pretty much all it's got all the stuff that we've talked about um in there but then you go and do the day and you start talking about it and it's the same stuff and you know it and i've like read it but when you start grinding it down to how you drive and on that day it's such a, a good personal experience that kind of has to be done in person like yes you can learn a lot from reading but i would say to everyone try and go with well either yourself or you know a, a driver coach and do some of that stuff the basics and work on your driving on a fundamental level and it, you could spend you could do 15 different things in a day and you know working from working to your vision to how you change gears or whatever or you could spend an entire day just on fine throttle control to balance in various scenarios and you're still going to get tons and tons out of it but wherever you are in your journey that you can definitely i've known for as i was a um a ski instructor or used to be yeah and that was something that people go skiing for six weeks and they're they're like people mark how good they are at skiing by the number of weeks like it's a really weird <laughs> slightly weird thing um and if they people seem to stick pick six weeks it's like yeah okay i can like go and get down a black run and like i'm pretty good and then they stop learning yeah whereas the more you know the more you realize what you don't know and the same with driving like you must come up with people who they might have done like a hundred track days or something but they actually kind of crap like yeah. they're fast but they don't really know what they're doing and then you go and do one of these days and you open this open it all up and rip it all apart and expose all these things you don't realize about. And it really starts to cement in and you start to, I got a lot out of it. And even though having done tons and tons before. Oh, I'm glad that you, uh, you, you had a good day with me. And it, it, we, you know, we made some big, big improvements there. Yes. 
you know, the theory, understanding the theory is really important because understanding the mechanics of how the car's moving and, and what we're trying to achieve is is definitely the first step. But then, like you say, actually putting that into practice and feeling yeah. why we should be turning the car in in a certain way, or why we should be looking in an area or why we should be trail braking in, in a certain way and getting the timing of the process is correct, then that's just, it's just the next level, yeah. isn't it? Something that's very difficult on track days um, and actually is quite good on, on a sim because you can see all this, is track days, you're not really allowed to time. Now, if you have a race car, and you're on a track day, you probably have timing already in it, so you can't rip it out. Like, like in my Radical, it's on the steering wheel. We can't remove the steering wheel. Yeah. <laughs> but if you just have a, if you're just looking at your lap time, you can see that you're getting faster, but you can't necessarily see what, you don't see anything about why you're getting faster. Um, and, that, as I think, is something that's if you can get it in your car somehow, specifically to split laps up, so you yeah. know, like corner to corner, whether that was faster, and then you can go, well, that felt that felt Larry, and that was X. That felt pretty chilled, and it might be in the same speed. Yeah, and then you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> these are the things you're talking about and working on. But um, yeah, that's just something I've definitely feel like people need to if you can get timing yeah i mean and it can be done reasonably i think it can be well it can be done reasonably cheaply with like you know have apps on the phone how is lap time and there's a couple of other ones the only issue with that is if you're using the gps in the phone it doesn't refresh quickly enough enough. yeah so it's not as accurate but you can get a gps module that attaches to your phone takes it up to uh, i don't know i think it's a tenth of a second the frequency of the the position and so then you can look at uh, the time delta, which takes your your best lap and compares it to the lap that you're on live and updates whether you're quicker or slower, as you know, Sam, um, you know, 10 times a second as you're going around. So that means that you can try a different line yeah, or a different breaking point or whatever it is into a corner and through a corner and actually see live in the situation um, whether you're going faster or not. Now, whether that's useful or not, well, it is. But if you've not got the capacity to actually absorb that information while you're driving the mm. car, then it's just a distraction. So you need to make sure that you can drive the car and have a bit of spare capacity to actually look at this information yeah. and compute whether it's w- w- what it's showing you. Yeah, and then that thing about learning the track and trying stuff. Because, yeah, I could go and... If, if you sent me out now and I would go to you know brands or something and i drive around and actually probably if i didn't have any input with the knowledge i now have i could probably chip away very slowly and hopefully see like you know you get big increases at the beginning by breaking it down and then it would get more difficult but you would get to a point where you're just not getting faster and that may be the point where you need to just try stuff that you don't think could be faster or have someone else say, oh, by the way, you know that like you're turning right, you should be turning left. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with, with that, with, with kind of getting up to within uh, a small percentage of the, 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 the you know, the, the, the absolute lap time, there's, again, certain processes. So if you're trying to brake later, you need to be conscious of where you're braking. Because one of the issues with, with some 
coaching on on normal test days is that the coach will just say you need to break five meters later yeah. well why why aren't you breaking five meters later anyways because you don't have the confidence to to break that bit later so the process is understand where you're beginning the deceleration break there if you get it into the corner and you feel like there's, there's you're going in a little bit too slow or you make it through the corner without breaking the limit yeah. then you know that you braked at that point on the previous lap and so you then have the confidence conscious consciously to move a little bit deeper into the corner it's the same for my brain if i dry if i broke brakes where where my brain was telling me to break it'd be 10 or 15 percent too early all the time mm. and so i have to actively say okay i break there on the last lap i'm gonna go three meters deeper yeah. on this lap and then go another three meters and you get that until feeling of like i'm about to be sick yeah <laughs> as you run past that initial braking point you're like no i need to break there and then as soon as you hit the brakes and the car starts yeah. out, you know you're like you know, i'm fine i'm fine exactly and so it's it's getting over that that mental limitation in in a conscious way, in a way that actually gives you confidence rather than just guessing or rather mm. than just sucking it up and being brave. Driving isn't about being brave. It's about doing things in a, a logical process and, and moving those braking zones a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. Yeah, I've uh, with the, the bravery thing, you know, you go see people drive, you know, someone might look out and be like, okay, that person is driving this mental car in the wet. They can't really see that much. They are bonkers. And okay, there may be a slight factor of that, but actually, you know how we've talked about earlier, you know, they've they are running with more information than you have. Yeah. And they know like they know where they can break, they know various points on the track for picking up markers or whatever, they know that car, that scenario. And for them it doesn't feel crazy. Like people that go base jumping or downhill mountain biking or whatever, they are not running on adrenaline. They're just making calculated decisions. They're just operating at a much higher level than you currently are. Exactly. They're getting more information. They're, 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 they're more experienced. If you're racing and you're being brave, then firstly, you're being a bit silly. And secondly, at some point, you're going to have a crash. Yeah. Um, it's going to get expensive. How, how soon it, it might is, also hurt. You're not, you know, you're not, people say that, oh, you know, they're a brave driver. Well, they're not brave. They're just, they're just confident and they're, they're, they're driving the car properly. Yeah. So normally, at the end of these podcasts, I ask a bunch of questions. So I'm going to ask you some questions. Okay. Um, do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? I would say like off the racetrack. Off, oh my God, off the racetrack. Yeah. I've, not, I've, not done, um, <laughs> I've not done too many. Most memorable, if I'm being completely honest, I used to live in, in Barcelona. Yeah. And I went to collect all the stuff at the beginning of the year. <laughs> so I went down in the van. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> You know what? I've not done too many, too many like car tours to be honest, because my life's always been racing. Yeah. Um, so okay, we can say we can limit it to well, we can put it any driving, so any most driving. memorable driving experience um, with mates or whatever. Oh, there's it's it, it's the racing. I mean, it's the, it's the racing. I, I drove a Formula One car when I was seventeen, mm. so that still sticks in my mind because the first time you get in an F one car, it's it's exciting and yeah. um a little bit scary at the same time so that's still that was at donnington park 2003 in a 97 benetton so it was only six years old at the yeah. time so. um and i was a you know skinny little 17 year old <laughs> thing was trying to turn my head off uh so that's probably the most um, memorable driving that i've done but um 
Yeah, I've you know I've I've not actually done too much too much on the road. Um, when you're saying you've done a bunch of well driven a bunch of F1 cars, you the a whole bunch of YouTubers last year and influencer people went and drove F1 cars. Yeah, and you were there as one of the coaches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How how I'm not. You don't have to name any names. How is the general (laughs) standard of the people that turned up? Did they're all right, a, actually. A bright, I mean, I mean, the, the format spread. of the day is they they come along and they drive um, F four cars at Paul Ricard yeah. for two twenty minute sessions, and then they get in a two thousand and twelve uh, Renault or Lotus. The cars, the chassis, is actually a Lotus because yeah. when Renault bought the team afterwards, um, but it's it's painted up as a as a, as a Renault, and they uh, you know they do incredibly well. Um, because that's not much seat time in no, terms exactly. of just jumping no, no, into no, a single Just to learn Paul Ricard, it's only the, the, the four-kilometre circuit there. But um, just to learn the circuit in 40 minutes is is quite a task. Hmm. Um, and a lot of people have never been in a single-seater before, so then they jump in the F4 car and, you know, they're, they're not massively quick, but they're they're yeah. quicker than any road car probably that yeah, would yeah. be around. Left foot, do you have to left foot break in this? You don't have to because they've got a clutch, but then in the F1 car you do have to, yeah, right. because you can't get across. The pedals are, um, are separated by the steering column because it goes yeah. in the middle, so you have to left foot brake in the in the F1 car. But the F4 cars have got a clutch, so you need to use the clutch to pull away. Um, but once you're on the circuit, it's just paddle shift like like the Radical is. And just like your everyday day car. <laughs> just like your everyday day car, yeah. And, you know, the, the, the F1 car... Um, it's it's got a friendly map in the clutch. Okay, uh, the car's quite friendly anyway. The, the V8s of that era, they're not as raw as as ten or fifteen years before. The right. car, the, the, it's 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 so good. That car's so good. I've driven it a few times. The car's so good that it gives you so much warning about when it's going to slide. Right. It's quite a refined place to be, especially if you compare it to a car that's fifteen years yeah. older. Um, a V10, you know, that's got really stiff suspension. You feel every bump on the track, and it feels like it wants to to throw you in the barrier. The 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 later cars are a lot more supple, um, but still, they're in a F1 car, and the, the, you know, when we set them off, I'm talking to the to the driver to run them through all the processes, yeah. you know, and uh, the, the mechanics start the car, and you just see their eyes go big. <laughs> <It's not like laughs> The thing's so noisy, uh, but they they do really well. Yeah, and some of them start really start to push on. Yeah, it sounds like it's an unreal. It sounds like an unreal experience. The the modern cars. So you're saying, if say in broad terms, have have the F1 cars got easier to drive as we get towards today? Or I mean, obviously they're not easy to drive, but because of things like suspension and stuff, are they easier to drive? Or are they just uh, in, still in, suitably absolutely nuts and just bonkers? In general terms, I'd say yes. I mean, I've driven cars from 82 to 2013. I've not yeah. driven this latest generation yeah, yeah. of F1 cars, so I can't say anything about that. Although, you know, the new cars are faster. Hmm. Uh, you know, this last generation of cars are faster, but they're still very refined from the looks of it and hmm. um, from what I hear. Um, so, yeah, they have got, they have got um, easier, I'd say. Um, the there's a sweet spot, I think, in terms of speed. Yeah. Because you know, early '80s cars aren't massively quick, but there's a there's a sweet spot in terms of speed and the rawness of the car. Just mm. probably the, the the early to the, the the late '90s, I think, is that area where the cars are fast still. Yeah. Difficult to drive, very raw, um, 
and you think twice when when you get in there you know you, you you're thinking about it whereas the later cars you can get in and it gives you so much feeling that you can uh you can kind of take it by its neck straight away um something you may or may not have thought about if you can have a five car garage what would you have in your five car garage the only caveat is you, it has to sort of fit into your daily life into my daily life you could I, have four i'm gonna race pick cars five race cars, cars. <laughs> I would um, take an early 80s F1 car, like a, like the, the Saudi Williams or something like yeah. that, with the grand effect. I would take a a Funk Up car. Oh, yeah? Okay. And I'd get a load of my mates together and... Actually, I'd take two Funk Up cars. And I'd uh, get a load of mates <laughs> together and go and do the Spa 25-hour race because it literally is like a stag party at Spa. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd go... I'd have a 65 Mustang. Okay. Um, because my, my dad used to race classic touring cars, Los right. Cortinas. And, um, and he, I grew up at the race racetracks and watching him race. And it was Lotus Cortinas, uh, Minis, Anglias, Mustangs, Camaros, mm. Falcons. I always loved the big American yeah. cars. So I'd, I'd have a, a 65 Mustang road car. Right. Uh, I think after that I'd have a T70, load of T70. Oh yeah, sixties Le Mans car uh, because they're just they're fantastic, fun to drive, and they're just beautiful, aren't they? Like absolutely yeah. beautiful. What would your is that was that four? I think we're on four. I think that's four. Yeah, yeah. What's what's your what's your you've got to drive to the track. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to sound really boring because you know when you spend time on the track. You don't necessarily need anything too special yeah. to drive on the road. I agree. And uh, so I'd just have something comfortable. I actually don't know what I'd have. I don't know. I like Alfa Romeos. Okay. I used to, used to have an Alfa just because they're pretty. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, uh, I'd, I'd get something really boring and really simple. Uh, you know, I just drive the Mazda around at the yeah. moment. I'd get a BM or a Merc or something sure. like that. That's a really dull Something answer. to get you to the track. Just to get to me get to the track. To get yeah. race cars. Yeah, to get in the race cars because you don't need to drive on, the, uh, you know, quickly on the road when you're in and out of race cars a lot. So, uh, yeah, bit of a dull answer. Sorry for that. But that's, that's, but that's it. That's That makes sense because as someone that spends a ton of time on a racetrack driving awesome stuff, like, the road just, just becomes irrelevant. Yeah, I look more at the the beauty of the cars um, because you get the driving experience yeah. on the track. So I like you know pretty cars and some some classics I'd have as well. Um, if you could only drive one car for the rest of your life, um, it would be the championship that had the best racing, uh, which would mean something quite cheap in t- racing terms. Yeah. Um, either the Citroen C One. Master MX-5 or the Funk Up Racing. Because the racing's so close yeah. and you, you, so you know, cars. it's so many cars that, yeah, it'd be one of those. Cool. Okay. And what is the most interesting car to you at the moment? Like, could be a new car, something you've seen, or is there any car that you, like, Googling videos for and you're like, oh, I love that, or anything um, like that? <laughs> Not particularly, no. Um, I'm just interested, always interested in the engineering side of the yeah. cars, what they're doing with either the suspension or the engines to to, to improve um, upon it, or also the, the classic cars, just to see the, the hand 
handmade yeah. panels and, and, and what it might be. So, no, there's nothing that I'm uh, particularly looking at. I'm interested. I've never driven uh, a proper electric car. So I'm right. interested in having a look at a Tesla and maybe driving mm. one of those. Are there... They, I, I find them like that concept and everyone, all the manufacturers are getting into that at the moment. Mm. And definitely, I think whenever I get rid of my M2, I don't think anytime soon, but I would look at getting an electric car as my day-to-day car. Yeah. Um, to sort of, because I don't need, there's lots of things that are benefits of the electric side and also sort of, you know, better for the planet and all that sort of stuff. But um, are there any electric, well, I know the answer to this question. But there, aren't, there aren't many electric race cars, race cars or race car series. Are there? Obviously, there's Formula E. Yeah, you've got Formula E, and actually this year they're looking a lot more lively. You know, mm. I think that the first generation of that car, were, they were a little bit slow. Yeah. Uh, running on road tyres. They still run on road tyres, I think. But, um, but the, the, the power units just weren't strong enough. Mm. They've upgraded everything for this year. And they're looking a lot more lively. Like they look like race cars. The things are moving yeah. around, and they look quite. They, quick. De- they definitely now look like, and performance-wise, they're sort of getting into like, oh yeah, actually they're yeah, kind it, of quick. it looks more serious. Um, but like, don't get me wrong, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, yeah. I still like my 1960s <laughs> sports cars and uh, and all of that, and I always will um, because they're just beautiful, aren't they? Mm. And the, the noise is fantastic. But on the road, as I've just said to you. I'm not that fussed about um, about driving a, a road car like that. So I'd look at an electric vehicle, yeah. 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 Um, because there's a couple, I think, there's a couple of electric Pikes Peak cars. Have you seen them? Yeah. Uh, one of them turned up at Gidwood, the Peugeot. Yeah. Like, just the mental weapon, I think. They're incredible, aren't they? I mean, I think they must use them on Pikes Peak because of the torque that the electric yeah. motor gives you. and It pulls as... At the top, but and altitude wise, yes. they pull as hard at the top as they do at the bottom. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Whereas yeah, I yeah. think I think a normal and it, people always run turbocharged cars. They're like down forty percent power or something ridiculous by right. the time they get to the top. Yeah. Um, but then from watching people drive these, like that Peugeot, for example, it doesn't. It almost looks like you have to you you have to drive it very different to most cars because it can do things like the way yeah. that the torque vectoring you know individually it can individually break any wheel at any time uh, yeah. up to a thousand million times a second or put reverse power or forward power um i remember hearing elon musk talk about traction control in like a model s and he was saying the difference between a car like that driving over some ice and a normal car driving over some ice. A normal car can only just break wheels. That's it. And it can only do it at a certain amount of time. And it has a certain amount of sensors in it. Whereas an electric car has basically infinite control of each wheel yeah. in any direction. Yeah. With any amount of force at any time. And can sense tiny, tiny amounts of slip in a wheel and adjust it straight away. Whereas a traditional traction control system relies on there being a certain amount of slip before it can adjust to it and work yeah. it out. So they, he was saying, like, if you just drive a Tesla down like an icy road, it just drives down the icy road. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sure that you have a lot more control in what the wheel's actually doing, and so that will make it safer. And, and, and in terms of the Pike Peaks car, Pike's Peak cars, will make it faster. 
in terms of driving, I guess it's a really strange thing to drive because you you have to begin to understand what the computer's doing uh, to get the most out of it. Yeah. And that might be completely different in terms of technique to what we would use in a traditional car yeah. with traditional suspension and just being driven at one end or, or four-wheel drive. Yeah, so, you get your engineers coming in and being like, you need to do this. And you're like, that doesn't make sense. They're like, mm, but it'll be faster. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, and it's, it, it would have happened before in Formula 1 with the right. active cars. You would have been having to drive those in a, in a different way. Yeah. Um, but as a driver, that's, you know, you, you adapt to, to what you've got and that's where the, where, where the, the difference is between a good and a great driver. Hmm. Cool. Well, that sort of wraps it up. I don't know how long that was. I feel like it was actually quite a long time. So hopefully it's all recorded. I think we've got one camera that's turned off. One's still going. Um, but thanks very much for coming along. It's been Absolute good to have pleasure. you here. And I'm sure I'll see you at some track at some point in time. Cheers, Sam. Thank you. <laughs> imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.